And tonight we will uh, we'll pick up where we left off a couple of weeks ago. Um, I want tonight to, uh, we, we've been talking about this issue of sin, and we're, uh, we're nearing the end of it. A few weeks ago, at least a couple of weeks ago, we began talking about are there some sins that are worse than others? And I kind of rushed through it that night, um, just, you know, feeling like I kind of skimmed the tops of things and, and maybe, maybe created more questions than I did giving of answers. Um, that night we, we began just asking the question, are there some sins that are worse than others? And we said yes and no. That as far as what makes us any more guilty than any other sin, then no. That we are equally in, our, in the, the sin nature that we inherit from Adam as well as in the smallest in our eyes sin. Um, all of it condemns us and makes us guilty before God. We are justified by the grace of God alone through the finished work of Christ alone. But there are some sins that are worse than others in the way it affects our relationship with God. Now, not our standing with God, but in, in, our, uh, in our relating to God, in our relating to each other, uh, in the way it affects our families, and in the way it impacts this family, this body. There are some sins that, that cause more grief more disruption in this body than than others um, for instance let me just give you just give you one example uh, you know I'm often talking about gluttony gluttony probably is not going to really disrupt this body a whole lot I mean we, we could all be gluttonous and and uh, and and still see God do a lot through through this faith family but gossip uh, gossip can destroy Gossip can divide. Uh, James talks about that a ship, an entire ship, is controlled and steered by one little rudder. In the same way, uh, the tongue can steer an entire vessel. And you put one person in the midst of a, of a church that is um, gossiping, spewing lies and deceit and all that sort of thing, and before long, it can really spread like wildfire and really put a halt on what the church does for the Lord. And so I, I think that in itself is probably a good example of showing that there are some, th- some sins that impact in greater ways than others. So tonight, with, um, <clears throat> without spending much more time on that, I want to turn our attention to what happens then when Christians sin. I mean, what, what happens when Christians sin? Well, Number one, our legal standing before God is not changed. Um, if we are truly saved, if we are truly believers, if we've truly forsaken our sin, trusted in Christ alone, there will be times when we still sin. And it doesn't mean that we fall out of grace. We don't fall away from our salvation. You can't lose that. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago on Sunday morning when we talked about the perseverance of the saints, that we will persevere to the end because God is the one who is holding us and will see us to the end. But we, we don't lose our salvation at all. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're truly in Christ there is no more condemnation. 
There is no more to come. You are, you are justified. You will still struggle with sin in certain areas, but you will not lose your salvation. Romans 6.23 uh, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Um, it is eternal life. It is everlasting. You will not lose it. So um, this is perhaps what John is writing about in 1 John chapter 1, in uh, verse 8, when he says, you know, if we say we have no sin, we, we lie. And then he goes on and he says in, in verse 9, if we will confess our sins, then he will be faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we don't lose our salvation. Our legal standing before God is the same. 1 Corinthians 15 is where I'll be this Sunday. You can get a jump start on this Sunday's message by reading through 1 Corinthians 15. In verse 3, it talks about that God, that Christ died for our sins. Well, nowhere in that does it say he died for past sins. Nor does it say he died for present sins. It just says sins. And the, the implication there is that Christ died for all of your sins, past, present, and future. And the reality is that none of us were alive when Jesus was alive. None of us were alive when Jesus died or when he was raised from the dead. So all of our sins were future sins when Christ died. And so when you and I sin as a Christian, we don't lose our legal standing, our justification before God. So what does happen when a Christian sins? Well, Secondly, though, our fellowship with God is disrupted. Our fellowship with God is disrupted. Even though God doesn't stop loving us, He does become displeased with us. And anybody who is a parent or a spouse knows all too well that this is entirely possible. That my wife, when I have, you know not done those things that I have promised over and over again that I was going to do and get to, when, when I've repeatedly not done those, while she's displeased with me, she doesn't stop loving me. There are times when I'm displeased with my children. You know, I was displeased with my daughter this morning when I left the house. Um, I was... My, our kids are at that age where we're... They're, they're, they can stay at the house by themselves for just a little bit of time. Micaiah's 12, you know, so it's just borderline. We don't leave him very long. Lana had to go to work this morning, and the kids are on spring break. And so I'm leaving the house this morning, and I said, now Guys, here's a rule. You cannot turn the oven, stove, anything on while we're not here. First thing Abby said, Well, Mom said we could. You know, went to there immediately. And I said, I said, Abby, I'm telling you, you can't. Just saying. <laughs> she rolls those little eyes. And I'm just, you know, well, I'm just saying that your mom doesn't trump me. 
No turning the stove on. Okay. You know, we're, we're in trouble. You know, I mean, she's 10. We're in trouble, you know, when she hits those teen years. I was displeased when I left the house with her. But I didn't stop loving her. In fact, on the way to the office this morning, I was thinking I may have been a little hard on my daughter. I don't, I don't want my daughter to question the fact that I love her. No, I think all parents have had those thoughts. I love them, but I'm displeased with them. I want them to know right from wrong. And I'll discipline them if I have to. But it's all because I love them. And I think that's what we see in God. When we sin as believers, as people who have been totally forgiven, in right standing before God, having Christ's righteousness imputed to us, adopted into his family, going through this process of being sanctified, when we sin in that process, we don't, we don't, we're not kicked out of the family. It's not as if God invites us to the table one day and says, here, this is your seat. And then we sin and he says, oh, no, you got to earn that seat back, brother. No, we're still in the family. He still loves us, but he becomes displeased with us. So what happens? Well, Ephesians 4.30 says that when we sin, it is possible for us to grieve the Holy Spirit. That we... That we cause the Holy Spirit within us this displeasure, this grief at the choices that we are making. Turn, if you will, to uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 and 6. It says, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one who he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. When you and I sin, it causes separation. It causes displeasure. We're not out of the family, but God our Father is, is displeased with us. He's unhappy with us. And therefore, to produce in us the character that he wants, namely, the character that reflects his own son, he will discipline us because he loves us. Skip down to uh, verses 9 and 10. Besides this, we have, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. That's what it's saying there is that we're still going to sin as Christians. We're not out of the family, but he becomes displeased with us and he will discipline us in order to produce within us his own character. Um, my dad used to tell me, I've, I've, I've told a lot of stories probably about my, my dad. My dad had the biggest hands in the world, just huge, big old belt, you know, and cut a switch off a tree in a minute, you know. And I used to think he hated me. And he used to tell me things like, I want you to know this hurts me more than it hurts you. 
And I used to think, you liar. You know? And I used to think, boy, there's going to come a day when I'm going to get as big as you are. And, you know, and then there came a day when I got as big as him. And I remember pushing my dad one time. I pushed him. I should have pushed him harder. Because <laughs> he came back at me. Before I knew it, I was upside down behind the TV. Uh, one of those console TVs, you know. My dad was not a violent man. He was never, he was never cruel to us. He never abused us. But he was trying to produce in me character he wanted he wanted me to be who i needed to be but he knew that there was this sinful person this selfish narcissistic person within me that he had to work out and if my earthly father knows to do that then how much more will our heavenly father do that because he loves us the, uh, the Westminster, Westminster Confession of Faith um, says this, I think rightly so. It says, although they, speaking of true Christians, although they never can fall from the state of justification, yet they may, by their sins, fall under God's fatherly displeasure and not have the light of His countenance restored unto them until they humble themselves, confess their sins, beg pardon, and renew their faith and repentance. And that's exactly what has to happen. When you and I sin, we may undergo the discipline of our Father, and He turns His countenance away. Remember when we moved into this building, and one of the things we prayed for is that God would cause His face to look at us, that He would look toward us. It's a biblical expression meaning that He would, that, that he would um, use us for His glory. That he would take what goes on here and multiply it for his kingdom. Well, there is a way here that means that when we sin, we will undergo the discipline of, of our Father. He will withdraw his gaze from us until that discipline drives us to humility, repentance, and renewed faith. And when we humble ourselves and turn away from that sin... And come back by faith and say, Jesus, you are my only hope. I've sinned against you. Forgive me. Then he turns his gaze back to us in a loving, fatherly manner. That's the picture of our God. But not until then. Jesus taught this when he taught them how to pray. They said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And you remember in the Lord's Prayer, he goes and he says, one of the things they would say is, forgive us this day our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. It's that he was teaching them this need for daily, habitual turning back to God, confessing our sins, renewing our faith. And that's what we need to do. Um, a, a third aspect of what happens when, when a Christian sins is not only is our fellowship with God disrupted, but our Christian life and fruitfulness in ministry is damaged. Um, we're just not effective for his kingdom as we could be or should be if this sin was out of our life. Um, I, have, I, I have men throughout the years that I had just looked up to in ministry. Um, some of them have let me down. Um, I mean, really, really let me down. There was 
One, who was the pastor of the church at Brook Hills, where now David Platt is, Rick Owsley, who I just thought was, was so godly. And he was, he was sort of a father figure to me in the ministry. I looked to him. And come to find out, you know, he was involved in a horrendous affair. And uh, he had to be removed from that church, and I don't know where he's at today. But I think, boy, he had just incredible, from, from, all, from all indications looking in, he just had this fruitful ministry. What could that ministry have accomplished if that sin had not have been in his life? Um, this is what Jesus talks about in John 15. Turn there, if you will, John 15, verse 4. John 15, he's talking about the fact that he is the true vine. His father is the vine dresser. And in verse 4, he says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. Well, it's impossible for us to truly abide in Christ while we are also trying to abide in some sinful activity. You can't do both. Jesus talked about this with money. He said no one can serve two masters. You can't can't love money and love God. It's the same way with sin. You can't say, and this is what 1 John is is talking about, you can't say that you really love God if there is a habit or a pattern in your life that is proving otherwise with you're just entertaining sin. You, you can't do both. And Jesus says here, you can't do anything unless you abide in me. Um, I like what Wayne Grudem says. Uh, Wayne Grudem said, if our goal is to grow in increasing fullness of life until the day we die, and pass into the presence of God in heaven, then to sin is to do an about face and begin to walk downhill away from the goal of likeness to God. I like that imagery. That if the Christian life is this this picture of us steadily walking upward toward godliness, growing in godliness, that when we sin, it's as if we're doing an about face and walking back down the hill. And you think about that. Use that imagery. The more you sin, the more times you turn around and walk walk a little further away from godliness. I think that would help us if we, if we really got our minds around this. It would really help us to have a proper perspective of sin in our life. Uh, a book that I, I would commend to you. I've been trying to recommend books to you. Um, and it is a classic. Uh, it's probably the second bestseller of all times behind the Bible, uh, The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan, um, really portrays this well. Um, you would really, really enjoy Pilgrim's Progress. Turn, if you will, to First uh, Peter chapter 2. Let me give you a couple more passages. First Peter 2. First Peter 2, verse 11 
some more imagery in what this does to our life and fruitfulness for ministry here. First um, Peter two eleven, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. I think if we would see sin in this way, that it's it's waging war against our soul. It's as if um, it's as if these are sin is an individual soldier's soldier in battle. Uh, in fact, Wayne Grudem goes on and he talks about this, and, and I want you to I want to just read it because it's wonderful imagery of this. Think about sins as waging war against your soul, and he, he says this. Sinful desires within us are like soldiers in a battle, and their target is our spiritual well-being. To give in to such sinful desires, to nurture and cherish them in our hearts, is to give food, shelter, and welcome to the enemy's troops. It's a wonderful picture, isn't it? That we are in this battle. We are in this battle for personal holiness. We're headed that way. But for us to entertain sin is to invite an enemy into the camp. It's to, it's to sit down with a, a member of the enemy's army and eat with him. And to talk with him. And all the while, he's trying to kill us. I think it's just wonderful imagery there um, for First Peter chapter 2, verse 11. The, the last thing I would tell you is... When a Christian sins, uh, our justification is not bothered. Our legal standing before God is not changed. But our relationship, our fellowship with God is disrupted. Our Christian life and our fruitfulness in ministry is damaged. And the last thing is this, that our heavenly rewards are lost. Not altogether, but, but turn, if you will. This is a powerful passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. First Corinthians three verses eleven through fifteen. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Now, if, if that last line were not in there, you would think this was simply talking about whether a person was lost or saved. But that last line that talks about he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire, gives us a clue that he's talking to saved people here. But there is this, there is this level that you can be saved and go to heaven and live forever there and be perfectly filled with joy, but yet gain or lose heavenly rewards with what you do in this life. 
that are extra and outside of the issue of justification. The Bible teaches this, that somehow there are things that, that we will miss out on by sinning here. We don't know exactly what those rewards will be. The Bible never really specifies what those rewards will be. The Bible speaks of crowns. We will be given crowns, um, that we will lay those crowns at the feet of Jesus, but we don't know exactly. There have been songs written about this, that, that, uh, that what we do here is contributing to, to our, um, our accommodations there and all that sort of thing. It's all speculation. We don't know. Uh, one writer I read on this talked about he felt like that, that, based, that the reward could be a closer spot to the throne of Christ. We don't know. But somehow, some way, as we live in this world and we walk toward heaven by the power of God, that when we sin, we forfeit some things. When we give our lives to things that are not eternal, the wood, the hay, all those things, that those things won't, they won't last and in the judgment in the end, we will be saved, but those things will be consumed and they won't be treasures stored up in heaven. And so when we sin, we, 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 we forfeit those. So what's the lesson for us tonight here who are believers? The lesson is for us to begin to view sin for what it really is. Something that disrupts our fellowship with God, the Father. Something that, that affects our effectiveness, our fruitfulness here, our walk with the Lord here. And something that will even take away from or, well, or take away from our rewards there in heaven. We cannot continue to coddle sin and hold it close to us. But we need to begin to look at the things that are sinful, regardless of what it is in your life or how bad it is on a scale with the person next to you, their sins, we need to begin to look at it for what it really is and say, God, this is sin in my life. God, it's taken so much away from me. God, would you help me to remove it from my life? Would you deliver me from being tempted by this sin? Would you help me to get past it? I've fallen to it. I don't want to fall to it anymore. Thank you for forgiving me. Help me to get beyond it. I think that's the approach that we ought to have. Amen? All right. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for tonight, God, for your word. Lord, I thank you for uh, teachers like Wayne Grudem and others, God, who, um, who have outlined so much of this. God, I pray that we would take it to heart. Lord, that we would see sin for what it really is. God, that you would put within us a brokenness, just like Isaiah experienced when he saw you in all of your glory, seated on the throne in the year that King Uzziah died, God, he, his response was, Woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of, un, of unclean lips. God, I, I pray that we would be like David, broken over his sin with Bathsheba. We, we would come to a that same brokenness over our sin, and we would cry out, God, against you and you only have I sinned. Don't take your spirit from me. 
My bones are breaking. Restore within me a right spirit. God, I, I pray that you'd bring us to that point. Lord, I pray that we would live for your glory. That we would not give ourselves to the cheap, temporal things of this world. But God, that we would live for the next. And God, that you would be pleased with our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great night.